Good afternoon. It is my huge honor to be here. My name is Steph Hannon, and I'm going to talk to you about building products for a better world. I'm pretty well known for only two things in my professional career. One is the Google Wave keynote 10 years ago, almost today. Who saw it? Yeah. Who loves Wave? Yeah. Thank you. Um, and the second thing is being Hillary Clinton's chief technology officer, which was a huge honor. And I hope you see my team slogan there, get out the vote, G-I-T. We thought we were hilarious. <laughs> I want today to be the next thing I'm well known for. I'm so excited to be talking to you. And somebody asked me last night, why did you fly 10 hours um, to, talk, to, to give this talk? And for me, I've become sort of an accidental technology philanthropist. And I've built a lot of things that have had outsized impact by just observing, paying attention, and being a builder. So by observing, paying attention, being a builder, I've had outsized social impact. And I hope by telling some of my stories, you might be inspired to do the same. So these are going to be five vignettes. They're very fast, because each one of these was multiple years of my life. But I'm so happy to hang out at the back of the tent and answer questions and talk to anyone more. The first story is about Gmail. So I joined Google in 2004, and it had just launched. Remember, we had our 15-year anniversary last month. And Gmail looked something like this. Um, one of the first things I built as a product manager was the ability to represent yourself as a different email address. So a lot of people were forwarding email into Gmail. And that's what you'll see on the top right of the next screen. Everyone recognizes this, right, from 2005. Um, and what I noticed right away is that most email was being forwarded from universities. And I thought, is there a way we can give Gmail to free to all university students and K through 12 students in the world. And that's the kind of dream you can actually go and chase at Google. On the left side, I put the Google Mail logo, because also in 2005, there was an issue with our German trademark, and we had to change the name of the service to Google Mail. But the positive benefit of that is we were actually able to finally host on other domains. So the combination of these two things, seeing all the university email flooding in to take advantage of our cool search technology, and then being able to host on other domains by necessity meant I worked with a team to build what we now know of as Gmail for your domain, which is part of the Google Apps suite. Um, it was not a beloved idea in 2005. If you can believe it, these yellow boxes were Google's enterprise strategy. So the concept in 2005 of having cloud services was not very popular. And so we built this through a 20% engineering project. You've probably heard a lot about that over the years, but it's real. The whole first dashboard and administrative panel for Gmail for your domain was built um, with 20% projects. This is a snapshot of what it looked like when we launched in 2005. And I went to the Stanfords and the Berkeleys and the luminary institutions all over the Bay Area to try to convince them in 2005 to give us their email. And the concept was too crazy. So the only university that would sign up for it is San Jose City College. And you can see this is the blog post from when we launched it in 2005. And what I'm really proud to say is now there are more than 70 million students. Actually, this is a two years ago number. 
Jonathan Rochelle, who's talking next, said it's 80 million. So from a little concept in 2005, now more than 80 million students have access to free email. They told me if I want to keep your attention, I should move. <laughs> so in case that wasn't subtle, I'm just doing it. Oh. <laughs> While I'm saying my dreams, I have a dream that somebody in the back of the stage will take a picture, because this is the coolest venue I've been in, and then tweet it at me. So anyone. <laughs> Twefany. And again, 2005, I thought Twefany was a really cool Twitter handle. Lots of, lots of things we could talk about there. Um, the next story I wanted to tell you is about Google Transit. I moved to Google Zurich in 2006. You might know that Zurich has the most daily transit um, trains going through it every day. Zurich has more than 25,000 kilometers of public transit network. There is a public transit stop every 900 meters. But in 2006, there was no transit integrated into Google Maps. I know the younger people here might not believe that. 2006, there was no transit directions in Google Maps. It looked like this, and all you could do was search for a location, find a business, or get driving directions. So again, through a 20% engineering project founded by Chris Harrelson, who's a really cool engineer at Google, we built the first version of Google Transit actually as a separate property. What was hard about it in 2006 that there was no standard for sharing data. When a transit agency wanted to publish their data, there were many different ways they tried to do it based on the customer or the partner or whatever they were trying to do. And so the most important thing we did was create something now known as GTFS, the General Transit Feed Specification. Who's heard of it? OK, that's like six people. It's still cool. I think it's one of the best examples of a public open standard for government. And with that introduction, we were able to get our first six cities after Portland, Oregon, to sign up. And Google Transit launched as its own property in, um, in 2006. And it was many years before it was integrated into Google Maps, but that journey and that impact it's had. Because today, more than 2,200 transit agencies are publishing their data. And that's amazing. And I think what's so powerful about that isn't that you can go to Google Maps and look for transit directions. It's that you can go anywhere, <laughs> because it's a public open standard. And all of these really cool apps benefit from it and can be built. And you have choice in how you do your transit routing. But it was all from this kernel of an idea that we built in Zurich. Now I'm going over here. And I hope I get claps every time. <laughs> OK, thanks. <laughs> So in 2010, an uh, earthquake happened in Haiti, which was a devastating natural disaster. And a very large team of Googlers leapt into action to help with the response. And it took all different formats. But I think one of the most powerful one is satellite imagery. So GOI was a partner. We had um, a partnership with uh, back then. And um, the top photo here is a golf course. It's the only golf course in Haiti. And the picture on the top is before the, her, the earthquake, and the picture at the bottom is two days later when 55,000 people had moved in to live there. And you can imagine, we got that satellite imagery up in two days as an aid to all of the responders there. And the power of knowing where people were congregating, where they had to bring water, where they had to set up services, just how to track people, was the beginning of an initiative at Google known as Crisis Response 
which has gotten bigger and bigger over the years. Um, the second piece after the satellite imagery is we built something called PeopleFinder. Again, there was no standard service. This was pre-Facebook check-in. Back 10 years ago, there was no standard service for ways people could find each other. And again, we built a standard format called PIF and put up something called PeopleFinder. And it was used by hundreds of thousands of people to either declare, I'm looking for somebody or I'm OK and a way to match people. Again, we put it up in multiple languages just within a few days and became a powerful tool. This is so important because in the early days of Google, if you tried to search for something like tsunami, you got answers like this. And I think we can all agree, if you're looking or doing a Google search for Google's near, or tsunamis near Hawaii, you're not trying to find an electronic store or um, a museum. You're trying to get information about a sort of crisis event. Um, so public alerts became a much bigger project, and we worked on giving good answers to queries about natural disasters. And we also worked on things like this, putting an alert at the bottom of Google.com, which is the most precious real estate we have, to help people if we know they're in trouble. And this is Superstorm Standy in 2012. We had evolved into very rich, interactive, crowdsourced maps which helped people find services, waters. You know, that, that event happened during elections, and people were trying to find their, their voting locations. It was a very chaotic time. But crisis response evolved into this platform where incredible information could be shared between people affected, loved ones, and responders. When I got to Google.org, um, I think I led the product team starting in 2014. We even evolved the crisis response efforts further from response after an event to trying to get people out of the way of disasters. And that's what you're seeing on the screen here. So winter storm warning, a public storm warning. We worked with weather agencies globally all over the world to try to be able to tell people if danger is coming their way. And we saw incredible uptake really early on Android phones. So these are all stories of how a maps team evolved from thinking about the, the map and the basic functionality into serving people in their biggest moments of need. And then a story some of you might read about <laughs> when you looked at the bio and heard that I was coming to speak here. I became Hillary's chief, chief technology officer in 2015. I worked for her for 20 months. And in that time, I hired 80 engineers, product designers, and product managers. And we built and launched more than 55 products. So an epic arc of development and innovation. I always say we're the biggest startup of 2016 that nobody talked about. It was just an epic effort. And I'm so very proud. This is a team. We pretty much worked in that tight of a space. And we were always watching the news because something was always happening. So tight, cramped spaces. This is one of my favorite photos. On the left is uh, a standing desk but self-constructed. It was pretty hard for me to go from pretty much one of the wealthiest companies in the world, Google, to the Hillary campaign where we were as scrappy as you could humanly be. Um, and we couldn't buy people you know, chairs or standing desks, so it was sort of like empty boxes or what I gifted you on your first day. And then on the right, we have our motto. <laughs> because there were hard deadlines. And if you didn't ship something by a certain date, like the Iowa caucus was February 2nd, if you had a tool for the caucus and it didn't work, it was too late. Or if we built a tool for her first debate with Trump and it didn't work, it was too late. Um, so there was a certain intensity to the effort. 
Um, people often ask, what's the job of a CTO? It's not obvious um, you know, what people do in, in politics. So the number one job is to get people to turn out. In the United States, voting is not compulsory. So getting people to the polls is the number one job. The second job is raising money. So raising money is important. Each for the last two elections, each candidate has spent more than a billion dollars. I know that's a shocking amount of money. We can talk about that for a very long time. But raising money is a critical part of what the technology team does. Um, and so I put together um, yeah, some more information about money and how much it costs. I put together some examples here, not just of one thing we built, but a diversity of things we built to help give you a sense of what an engineer can do in this environment that might be, not be obvious that you're needed. So we built the donation and optimization platform. You can imagine we did all sorts of experiments and trials and said things like, would a free sticker help people want to save their credit card? Because if a credit card was saved, it was really easy to do subsequent calls to donation if there was an event in the world. We built something called a razor tool. Once people have hit their donation limit in the United States, they often want to get their friends to donate, and they build their support by getting their friends to donate. Until 2016, the way people checked in on how their, uh, their donation collection was going was via phone. They would call a regional manager and ask. That's obviously a heavy lift, a heavy person list. So we built this razor tool, and it was universally used throughout the campaign. How many people here know what a caucus is? OK. Now, how many people here are American? OK, the same people. <laughs> that was a test. <laughs> um, we have a primary system in the United States. And for some states, you actually physically go and vote in person. So you stand in like a high school gym, and people are like, Bernie Sanders people here, Hillary people here, Martin people here, Lincoln people here, and then they're counted. And if any candidate doesn't get more than 15% of the vote, they're out, and they repeat the process. And it's pretty tricky to figure out how the caucus system works. And it's always been a manual process. We built this caucus companion, which all of the 1,600 captains had in their hand, which not only helped them figure out what to do or how to count the votes, it also made recommendations as candidates were knocked out on how to strategize and um, optimize for the candidate. And it had never happened before, and that was a whole um, initiative in itself. A big part of the campaign is also educating people on what your candidate stands for. Bernie said free college. Hillary said debt-free college. And those are two totally different things. Debt-free college is a pretty tricky thing to explain. So our technology team built an interactive calculator that helped people understand um, what she stood for. And we built all sorts of tools for all different um, policies. Hopefully, this one is more fun. You might recognize it as a social media <laughs> suite of tools. Interactive things you could put, quotes from Trump you could put on your profile image and share on social media. We had a roulette spinner we built at the bottom. So for any year of their lives, you could see something Hillary was doing versus Trump. And then obviously some positive affirmation um, video creation on the right. So the technology team built all of those. When she became the nominee, which was a completely amazing day, first time a female has been the nomination for a major political party in the United States, it was a time to activate a lot of lightweight supporters. And so we built this tool that essentially felt like a game. We noticed that a lot of our supporters lived on our email list. 
but never donated, never shared content, never went to an event, and we were trying to figure out how to activate them. And it ended up in this lightweight ask to do the most basic things and get rewards. So again, all built internally through the technology team. We built a call tool. So we have battleground states in the US, like Florida and Pennsylvania. And then we have states where definitively Democrats will win, like California and New York. So big opportunity is how can you activate people in the states like California and New York to help in the battleground states and so we built a really cool interactive call tool with group systems and gaming and competition, but most importantly, training people on how to have great phone conversations. And finally, one of the things I'm most proud of is text activation. If you are an American in here, you're probably not so happy that we invented this, because going into 2020, the text messaging is prolific. But in 2016, it was a pretty novel idea that instead of having somebody knock on your door and try to have a conversation with you, we could try to activate you through text messaging. And so we built this tool that essentially let you do one-on-one -on -one interactive conversation with voters. And by the end of the campaign, we had not just internal staff, but we had eight centers of texting all over the United States and reached tens of millions of voters on election day through this tool. Again, in, in 2016, that was a crazy thought that we could activate people through text messaging, but the technology team went down this innovative path. So obviously it was a heartbreaking result. Like I am, this might be the first talk I've given without tears shedding. And a lot of my energy right now is what can we learn from this election to help in the subsequent elections. But the message I want you to take away is just how much engineers, product people, innovators can play a difference in a moment like this. Um, unfortunately, the voter turnout was the lowest it had been since 1996. Unfortunately, I also became famous for crying. It was not my best moment. It was the front, I was in the front row of her concession speech and um, all over CNN and Apple News, there was my face. And um, it's just a, a memory of sort of a really difficult time, but a, a body of work that I'm really proud of and I'm trying to carry forward. And the last story is from Strava. So how many people here are Strava athletes? Ooh, it's a good number. Are you a cyclist? Keep your, do you identify a cyclist? And then if, do you identify a runner? What about both? Okay, both, yeah, okay. Great, Strava is the largest community of connected athletes in the world. We just crossed 40 million athletes, and we have more than two billion activities, and it's a gold mine of data. I always say we're stewards of this community data. There's nowhere you can ride in the, or run in the world that Strava hasn't been. And think of all the product innovations you can do with that. So the one that has been part of Strava from the beginning is Strava Metro. Strava Metro is how can we change the way cities look at biking and running infrastructure and make more of it and make it safer. We work with more than 300 agencies and partners. Um, of course, they care a lot about commute data. The regular routine uh, rides are often more important to city planning than the fitness rides, which might be far out of the cities. This is a screenshot of what Strava Metro looks like. So you're seeing an animation for Tasmania, but you can see different densities of routes and rides, number of commuters, dense centers. And it's so powerful for a company to choose to invest in this because we could spend all of our time just trying to attract more athletes, but really, really taking to heart how we can serve our athletes by making the cities better for them is what the origin of this project was. Why do people use it? Often for evaluating infrastructure. So you have budget for a new bike lane in Amsterdam. You wanna know where are people riding where there are no bike lanes today. 
Okay, in Amsterdam, probably nowhere. But in some places in the world, there aren't enough bike lanes. And so that's an example of where you can use Strava data. Um, this is a great example in Queensland. I, it's, this font is too small, but a new piece of infrastructure was added. And the blue counts are riders after the infrastructure, an overpass was added. The red are before. And so that lets us city planner see, is the, the overpass we added helping? Is it taking people out of uh, neighborhoods into um, over the safer overpass? And so lots of different applications. We use it, it's been used for academic purposes to help with response planning for firefighters, being used to do city planning, and lots of correlation with bike counters. And so my time is up. I just wanted to say, I put this picture here because I hope just hearing some of these stories on how my trajectory in sort of growing uh, businesses, innovating, building consumer products, always looking out for moments when you can serve a social impact or philanthropic need is really powerful. And one of my mentors is Megan Smith, who is the CTO of the United States uh, under Obama. And she has said this to me so many times, go where you are unique. Go where you are unique. There are so many places we can go to work as engineers, product people, designers. There's so many places we can go where there are so many people like us. If you go into a nonprofit or education or policy or government or anything, you'll be unique and you can do amazing things. Thank you for your time.